Matthew 1, we'll be in Matthew 1, 18 to 23. Matthew 1, 18 to 23. Um, and uh, this morning is going to be a little different. Uh, so just kind of give you the, um, the heads up. Normally, uh, if you've been with us for a little bit, you know that we'll uh, take a passage and expound on it, uh, apply it to our lives. And we'll do you know, some of that, obviously. But today we're going to do um, a little bit more biblical theology. So a little bit more biblical theology on the idea of the fact that God is with his people. Okay, so we're going to do some biblical theology. If you're like, well, what is biblical theology? Don't you always do biblical theology? Well, my goal today is I'm going to take you through the story of Scripture. Okay, so if you don't know, um, the Bible is actually one storyline. Okay, from Genesis to Revelation, we see one story of God at work, uh, and we're going to see the thread. And I want you to see it throughout all of Scripture. When you read the Bible, I just want it to jump out at you. That God is with his people. He delights to be with his people, and the greatest comfort for a Christian is to be with God. So we're going to be looking at the idea that God is with us, uh, specifically with the climax that God is with us in Matthew 1, uh, 18 to 23, 21 to 23 specifically. Um, that's what, those are our key verses for this morning. And so my hope is that as we do that, that you'll actually understand and see the significance of Matthew 1, 21 to 23 more fully. Okay, so... Um, that's my goal. Um, if, I can just, my, if I can be faithful to Scripture this morning and just encourage you a little bit just to see Christ uh, in the new year, then I'll be very happy. So um, with that, let's go ahead and turn to our passage. Matthew 1, uh, we'll read starting verse 18, emphasis verses 21 to 23. This is the word of the Lord. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. Um, so that's the theme, God with us, right? We're going to see what the Bible says about God being with his people. And um, one of the reasons why I want to preach this is because if you've grown up in the church, right, you've heard of this, the fact that God is omnipresent, right? Big word, omnipresent, he is present always. So sometimes we just kind of take it for granted that, oh yeah, God is, you know, God is here, God is kind of everywhere, you know, not in the way that the, I do want to make the distinction, right? Not in the way that like everything is God, right? This idea, this new idea that like everything is God and everything is in God. Now we reject that. We know that the divine is separate from his creation, uh, and yet we know that God is everywhere. God is omnipresent. And yet that significance often gets lost in us, right? Significance that God is actually with his people, and I want you to see how, that fact, how the fact that God is with his people actually changes everything, okay? Everything about how we live, okay? We are God's people, and oftentimes, sadly, we live as if God is not with us. And I don't want that to be the case for us. I wanted you to see why this truly does matter. So we're going to see, we're going to open up scripture. We're going to start from the beginning in Genesis. But before I do that, why don't we turn to God in prayer and ask him for his help. 
Heavenly Father, we need you, uh, Lord, every moment, just like we sing. Uh, Father, we need you this morning. Lord, if you're not uh, with us and in this, Father, we're doing this in vain. Uh, so I pray that you would be with each one of us, Father. I pray that you would give me wisdom to um, say what you would have me to say, that you would be with all of us as you open up our hearts. Uh, Lord, give us humble, soft hearts to hear from your word. Uh, Lord, that not, we would not be um, hesitant and uh, timid, Lord, but instead that we would walk with faith, Lord, as we hear uh, just your heart for us as your people, Father. For those of us who have not come to uh, believe in you and trust in you, Father, may this uh, awaken something um, in you, in us, uh, Lord, to continue to seek you, Father. So um, I do pray for your help. We ask for your help. I uh, pray that you be with us and before us. Uh, may this please you and glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So my goal, like I said, I'm going to shower you with a lot of scripture this morning. So it's okay if you don't follow along. I have most of those scriptures. Uh, we're going to have them up on the screen if you can see them. So um, if you can't quite keep up, that's okay. I don't expect you to, okay? So we're going to start from the beginning. We're going to do biblical theology. And where do we start, right? Begin at the very beginning, Genesis. Uh, Genesis. Uh, God made all things. Um, Daniel, if you want to put up the first passage there. Stay here with Matthew here. So God, the very beginning, God made all things, including man. Um, and he made man in his image. Now, you may ask, well, why would God make man? Throughout Scripture, we see that he made man for his glory. Okay? And we see that um, God made man to have fellowship with him. He didn't just make man to be distant from him. He actually made man to be in fellowship with him. God is active, even from the very beginning, uh, with his people. Okay? So we see that God is active in his relationship with Adam and Eve. He gives them commands directly. He makes man out of woman himself, out of the rib of man. God makes woman. Adam and Eve both knew God's voice, okay? There was a clear fellowship of relationship that they had. But soon, sadly, we see that this fellowship would soon be broken, okay? So we have Adam and Eve walking in fellowship with God, and that fellowship would be broken. Uh, Genesis 3, 6 to 8 begins by saying, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her. And he ate. Okay, then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And then they, they sinned, they disobeyed God's command. And then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And what did they do? Man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Okay, so here we see sin entering into the picture. The fellowship that Adam and Eve had enjoyed with God has been distorted. Why? Now there's separation. Okay? Now there's separation. What, what, once, what was once sweet fellowship, togetherness, unity, has now been changed completely when sin entered the picture. Okay? Instead of when Adam and Eve, when, instead of hearing God's voice and delighting in it, seeking God, you know, what, what is he going to tell us today? Uh, you know, we don't know a lot about that relationship. But instead of seeking God's presence, they knew that they had sinned, and they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. They ran away from God's presence. And why would they seek to separate themselves from God? Well, a couple of reasons, right? One, sin. Okay? Sin entered into the picture. We know that God is holy. God cannot be with sin. And now man is sinful. And sin separates us from God. But how else are we separated? How else were Adam and Eve separate? Why did they separate themselves from God? Well, um, they also had guilty consciences, right? Their consciences testified against themselves that they were guilty 
And so they themselves sought to separate themselves from God. Thirdly, their separation, because now death entered the picture, right? So I was not, there was no death before, and now death entered into the picture. Not just physical death, but spiritual death too. And so we know that as a consequence for their sin, God sent Adam and Eve away from the garden, away from his presence. And so now we have a problem. From the third chapter okay, in the Bible, we have our greatest problem explained to us. And that is the fact that God made his people to be in fellowship with him, but because of your sin, you have been separated from God. Okay, from the beginning, we have the problem. In the rest of scripture, we'll see God at work in that. So the problem is that instead of you seeking God, you seek to run away from God. Seek to run away from his word. Okay, and so this is the, the biggest problem that we see um, in all of our lives. It's not our circumstances. It's not what's coming. It's the fact that sin is living in all of us. Okay, and so throughout scripture, we're going to see we're looking for a solution. We're looking for a savior. And so let me stop there for just for a second and ask you a question. Okay, as you think about your life, as you think about your day-to-day, are you running away from God? Are you running away from certain commands from Scripture that you don't like, that you find to be particularly burdensome? Okay? Don't do what Adam and Eve did, uh, shirking, fearing, running away from God, hiding from the presence of God. Instead, we'll see God wants to be with you. Okay? So are you seeking to run from God's word or running towards God? So we'll see. The story of Scripture, okay, go back, is all about God bringing back a people to himself. So what do we see after Genesis, um, after Sorry, after Adam and Eve, we see more sin. We see more death. We see more separation. The people that God had made gotten progressively more sinful and more sinful, farther away from God's plan to the point where Genesis 6 actually tells us that um, the wickedness of man was great in the earth. So great was the wickedness, in fact, that God planned to destroy all mankind. But there was one man who found favor in the eyes of the Lord, right? Uh, we know that God... Eventually, they destroy all people, but he preserved a remnant, and that was Noah and his family. What was different about Noah? Genesis 6, 9 is not up there, but Genesis 6, 9 tells us that Noah walked with God. Okay? So the difference between Noah and the rest of the people, the reason why God saved him is because Noah walked with God. Okay? So quickly, we go, we continue. You see, after Noah, we see people multiply. We see God in his mission. He begins to set aside a people for himself, a special people, a special possession for himself, uh, love towards his chosen ones, right? Uh, he makes a covenant with Abraham. He's going to make him fruitful. He's going to, through him, through Abraham, who didn't have a son at this time, he was going to bless all the nations of the earth. And God promised to actively be with his people. So he promised that to Abraham. We see that in Isaac. We see that in Jacob. Okay? Uh, we see, you know, even beginning to create and separate a people for himself. Right? Uh, Esau I've hated, Jacob I've loved. And we get to Genesis 28, uh, 13, 15, Daniel, on the next slide, uh, where God speaks to Jacob. Okay? And then we'll see the emphasis on God's presence. Genesis 28, 13 through 15. It says, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And God says, behold, I am with you. And I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Okay, how did Jacob know? What was his comfort, his guarantee that God would be faithful 
is that God says that I am going to be with you. I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised you. Okay, God shows his faithfulness generation after generation. He fulfills that promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. He makes them a great nation, the nation of Israel. In fact, they become so fruitful that if you know the story of Scripture, that Egypt begins to be afraid of them, and they uh, enslave them. Okay? They enslave them, make them their slaves, because they see how fruitful they can be, how God is blessing them. So now we get, right, we make it through, finally, the first book of the Bible. We make it through Genesis onto Exodus. Um, and we see that God, now his people, have been, have been made slaves. And God chose Moses to be Israel's deliverer from captivity. Now, why would God save Israel, right? Is it because they're just so godly? They have it all together? They've done everything right? Uh, no, it's the fact that God uh, just wants them to know that they're his, Okay. God wants to save them because he, they, he wants them to know that they're his, that they're his chosen possession. Next slide, Daniel. Exodus 6, 6 through 7. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord your God, and I will bring you out from or, under the burden of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. This is God's heart, okay, for his people. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. Okay, so God does this. He actually delivers them. He delivers them and leads them out of Egypt. Okay, hope you see that it is God's presence so far. And, you know, we could go through a lot more passages, but we could be here all day. But it was the threat of God's presence and his, the fact that he's with his people. It's so crucial to understanding of the storyline of scripture. Okay, so, so far, God is at work in his people. He leads them out of Egypt into the promised land. Uh, but there's still, right, there's still separation. Okay? It's still not quite what it was with Adam and Eve. The people are still not able to enjoy full fellowship with God, right? We see that they're afraid of the presence of God, and rightly so. Uh, in fact, it's Moses, only Moses who could speak with God. He was only Moses who could meet himself with God. And so the people could only hear from God as they heard from Moses. And so, so far we see that sin still entering into the picture is still uh, there's still more to be done, right? There's still more to be done. This, the, the fact that God is bringing people to himself is still not done. And so God leads them, right? Remember, he leads them as a pillar of the cloud during the day, as a fire and the night. God is with his people, even in the wilderness, even when they wander, God is still with his people. Um, and so God continues to lead them, go before them as they, con- as they take over the land that he has promised them. Okay, so this, now that they're taking over the land, this is going to involve a big task, right? They're going to have to fight nations, that are bigger and stronger than them. And not just that, okay? The man who has been leading them, Moses, their leader, the one who's been meeting with God on their behalf, he's old. And God has said, you are not going to enter into the promised land. This is not for you to lead the people into them. Okay, so they're going to fight big nations, and their leader's not going to come with them. So what did God remind them of in that adversity? Okay, as they look to that and think, we cannot do this on our own. Next slide, Deuteronomy 31, 1 through 6. reads this way. <clears throat> so Moses continued to speak these words to all Israel, and he said to them, I'm 120 years old today. I'm no longer able to go out and come in. The Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. But, but the Lord, your God himself, will go over before you. It is he who will destroy those nations before you, so that you shall dispossess them. And Joshua will go over at your head as the Lord has spoken. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, into their land when he destroyed them. 
And the Lord will give them over to you, and you shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I have commanded you. So be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. Why? For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Okay, the thing that the people of God needed to know as they were going to head into battle is that God was going to be with them. And if God was not going to be with them, they were going to lose. But if God was on their side, they had nothing to fear. Okay, you hear that again. Joshua, right, the verse that a lot of us might know, Joshua 1, 9. Like, do not be afraid. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous, for I, the Lord, God, will be with you wherever you go. Okay, so God was with them in their battles. When he was with them, they would succeed. When they would walk away from God and seek idols instead and walk away from the presence of the Lord, they would suffer. And so we transition now. They take over the land. We transition to the uh, period now in Israel in the scripture uh, where we have king being raised after king. Okay, so now we have um, Israel being a nation, a kingdom. They have king coming up, king coming up. Um, And some kings were good kings. Uh, Some kings were not so good kings. And what's the standard? How we know what is a good king, right? They walk rightly uh, before the eyes of the Lord. But the standard always is, how do they compare with David, right? It's always, if they did right in the eyes of God, he did as his father David had done. And if not, it was as the other nations had done, okay? So it's always, they want a king. And he raises King David, a man who was after God's own heart. So let me just read you from the psalm a couple passages that just explain David's heart for God's presence, okay? Next slide, Psalm 27, 4. David says, one thing I have asked of the Lord, and that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Secondly, Psalm 46, 1 through 6, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roam and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdom totters. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Okay, so in all of it, David's heart and desire is to be with the Lord. And that's, okay, and that's the positive side, okay? Then you also have Psalm after Psalm when he's in despair, when he senses that God's presence is not dear to him, okay? When he senses that God is not with him, then he despairs, okay? A couple of examples, Psalm 13, 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Psalm 38, 21 to 22. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. The presence of God is a really, really big deal to David, but not just David, right? All the other kings who sought the Lord, they needed God to be with them, okay? There's example after example. Zechariah, Hezekiah, Hezekiah, I mean, but, but let me give you one example. It's just even just King Solomon, right? I don't think it's up there, but 1 Kings 8, 50, uh, 857, this is what Solomon prays. The Lord of God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us. Okay? The prayer of the kings, if they were going to be right with God, if they were going to lead the people rightly, is that God had to be with them. Okay? So the kings that would seek God would succeed. Those who, on the other hand, would walk far from him, they would be led straight to their destruction. And before you start thinking that, oh, man, Israel is just so bad, just like you do, okay? so just like each one of us do, does, 
Israel forsakes the Lord, okay? we, uh, just as we forsake the Lord. And that has consequences, right? You think of your sin, it has consequences. Um, so for Israel, it's the same way, okay? They walked away from the Lord time after time. And so God, in his kindness, he sends prophets, prophet after prophet, warning the people, repent, turn from your ways. He warns them of incoming judgment of Israel. But what do God's people do? Just like us, fail to hear from God's word. So the consequences in the story of Scripture, we know that the nation of Israel is divided. God leaves them okay, to their own devices. And they learn that apart from God, they cannot stand. What follows for Israel is exile. Okay? The chosen people of God, who were his chosen possession, who were dwelling in the land that God had given them, are going to be moved to a different land under a different king, um, subject to different kings, um, foreign kings. And in suffering... Israel eventually will turn to God for deliverance. But we're going to get, this is the place, okay, a, a dark place uh, for the land of Israel, for the scripture where we see that the prophets both warn of incoming judgment, but also see forward to their deliverance, okay? The people of Israel are suffering. They're away from the land that God has given them, okay? They're suffering the consequences from their sins, okay? And the prophets, this is what they look forward to, okay? They look forward to the day where they will be delivered. So Jeremiah, a couple of examples. Jeremiah 23, 5 to 6, Daniel. Um, and it says, Jeremiah says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Okay, next is him. Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Okay? Now, we know what's coming, right? But just, just stay with me, okay? So, so far we know that their king is coming. They, they have hope. They look forward to this coming Messiah. But it takes a long time for that to happen, right? It's not like the next day... The Messiah comes and saves them. They have faith in God's word. They know that there's going to be a deliverer coming for them, and yet it takes a lot of time, hundreds and hundreds of years for these prophecies to be fulfilled, right? It's not just that. It's not just the time. But we even have a period, right, between the end of the Old Testament and Malachi and the beginning of the New Testament, 400 years of, for the most part, silence, okay, silence from God. Can you imagine being in their position, right? Israel, they know that God has promised to be with them, that he's going to save them. And yet, where is God? Okay, how long would it take you to be thinking, will God really do as he says? Has he forgotten us? Okay, I want you to think, and this is a good lesson for us, that even when we feel like God is silent, we need to wait on the Lord because he will act. He will be faithful. Um, and so, we come to Matthew. Okay, we come to our passage here just a little bit. Israel now, though, uh, to give you a big picture, Israel's under uh, the, uh, the rule of Rome. Okay, so now for generation after generation, the faithful have been awaiting their Messiah, their king. And what kind of king were they looking for? Okay, 700 years. Think about this. 700 years before our passage this morning, this is what we read in Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah writes this. In Isaiah 7:14. Um, this is Isaiah talking to King Ahaz. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, 
and shall call his name Emmanuel. After hundreds, okay, generation after generation of waiting, of looking forward to the day when the Savior would come, we're getting to the fulfillment of these promises. The angel of the Lord now proclaims Matthew 121 and says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Okay, so in Matthew, we see the fulfillment of the prophecy that was given um, 700 years earlier, even, even earlier than that. It's the beginning, okay, of all the messianic prophecies begins to be fulfilled right here. The Messiah that was prophesied and awaited, he is here. He is here now. And he wasn't just, okay, so they're looking just for a deliverer, but he wasn't just any deliverer, okay? It was God himself, verse 23, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, Emmanuel, which means God with us. It was God himself who was going to come. God, Emmanuel, God with us. Okay, so when we get to our passage right here, this isn't just any random moment in history. All of scripture so far has been looking to this, to the coming deliverer. He's the seed of the woman who would crush the serpent's head. Okay, so from the beginning of the gospel, we see there's going to be a deliverer who would crush the serpent's head. He is the seed of Abraham that would be a blessing to all, all peoples. He is the one. He is the greater David, okay? Remember, David, King David was the standard. He is the greater David, the king from the line of Judah. He's the promised Messiah. And all of it, so everything has been building up to this moment. The fact that Jesus is here. God is with us. Okay, so if you remember our biggest problem, what was it? Is the fact that we're um, separated from God. We're at enmity with God. We're, because we're sinners, we are at enmity with God. And no man could bring themselves back, themselves, into fellowship with God themselves, okay? No matter how many good things you do, no matter how many times you try to not do wrong, you cannot yourself bring yourself to the presence of God, okay? It is something that God himself has to do. You do not deserve to dwell with God. You cannot do it. And so God, in his love himself, he chose to act and come and be with you so that he could do it for you. He chose to come. He chose to dwell with his people. He chose to give us the only way for salvation. So the fact that God is with us is actually the, the hope, the only hope, the greatest hope of every Christian, that not, neither you nor I could pay for the penalty for our sins. God came to be with us so that he would once and finally deal with the penalty that each of us deserve to pay. It is precious, right, on Christmas. That's what we celebrate, that Jesus has come. We celebrate that God, our Savior, has come, that he is now with us. But it doesn't end with Christmas, right? It doesn't end with Matthew 1. Okay, so remember, we're going to go from Genesis to Revelation. So we got to Matthew, the fulfillment. Jesus is here. And then we know that he ascended, right? He ascended to the presence of the Father. Matthew 28, next slide. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey, to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, this is Jesus says, I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay, Jesus is no longer walking uh, you know, with us, next to us, um, but he made the promise, right, that he would not leave us. He's going to send the Holy Spirit, God himself, to be, dwell with us. This is what he says, Jesus says in John 14, 15 to 20. Next slide. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. 
even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus says, I I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet in a little while, the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Okay? Paul says this too. Uh, again, confirms this. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are God's temple, and that God's spirit dwells in you? Okay? We could have done a lot more, even just look, thinking of the temple. What was the temple in the Old Testament? It's the place where God's presence dwelled. Okay? And the, presence, uh, the temple was destroyed. And Jesus says, I will rebuild it in three days. Okay? Now we no longer have a temple because we know that the Holy Spirit, that God himself, dwells with his people. We don't need a temple who couldn't hold the glory of God anyways, uh, but now God is with his people. So it's just an amazing thing to consider, right? The fact that God would come as a baby to save us. But now it's also amazing to think that God would choose to be with us, okay? We did not do absolutely anything to deserve that, but God said, I love you. I'm making a people for myself. I have chosen you, and I want to dwell with you. It's amazing that the God of the universe would say, I desire and I delight and I long to be with you. Will you be with me? Okay. And so now, by God's grace, right, we have uh, fellowship. We can enjoy being in God's presence. And thankfully, too, right, we can enjoy it now. I do want to seek, you know, I'll exhort you here in just a second to seek God's presence. But even this is not it, right? There's joy, right? There's delight that we have in seeking after God. But even what we have today is not it. Okay, we look forward to the fact that Christ is coming back. Okay? Jesus is coming back. We know that God's work in us is still not done because we still live in a sinful body. Right? Our hope, therefore, is not in today, is not in the now, is not what we, we can see. Our hope is in the fact that the greater fellowship that God has been uh, creating, looking forward to, he will make it happen as we experience um, presen- uh, the presence of God with our Heavenly Father at the end of the ages. Okay? So we saw in Genesis, we saw that separation, and now what do we look forward to? Revelation 21, 1 through 3, okay? Second to last chapter in the Bible, what do we see? Verses 1 through 3, this is what it reads. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth uh, had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That separation will be gone. We will be people who dwell with God forever. What God from the very beginning like, planned to do, he will accomplish in each one of us. For those who are God's people, we look forward to the day when we can dwell with God in perfect fellowship. So God has been at work. and God has been at work to bring you to himself, to call you his, to dwell with you forever. So that's my hope this morning is that you will see God's heart, okay? God's heart is for you. He desires to be in fellowship with his people. And so if you have believed, if you are one of God's people, you believe in Christ as your Savior, that means you, right? That he delights to be with you. 
He wants you to be in his presence. And I long for each of us to see and to trust, right, that in trials, that in sufferings, that in good times, that in bad times, our greatest hope and our greatest exhortation is the fact that God is with his people. Okay, so what does that mean? Let's get practical, some application points. What does that mean? Okay, God is with us. God is intimately at fellowship with his people. What does that mean? Well, first of all, if you're not a Christian, right, if you're not a Christian, um, this is different for you because you should fear. You should be afraid. This is the way Matthew Henry says it um, when he writes on Genesis 3. Those who by sin have gone astray from God should seriously consider where they are. They are afar from all. Uh, far off from all good, in the midst of their enemies, in bondage to Satan, and in the high road to utter ruin. If sinners will consider where they are, they will not rest until they return to God. So if you're not in Christ, okay, if you're not in Christ, if you've not repented and trusted in him as your savior, you're not just neutral with God, you're God's enemy. And that is a frightening thing. Just like the people of Israel, when they walk, chose to walk away from him, they could not stand. You cannot stand. You should fear because he knows all that you've done. Okay, God is still, he knows everything that you're doing, and he knows the fact that you're guilty. You know that you're guilty. Your guilt makes you worthy of his wrath, eternal wrath. Okay, and just like um, a criminal, okay, who's now facing the judge, seeing the judge when you know you're guilty is the most terrifying sight. Why? Because you know that he has authority to put you away forever. And so you will, too, one day face the judge. You will face your maker. You will face the one who can send you away from his presence, who can pour his wrath upon you. And I don't want that to be the case for any of us. I don't want you to be at rest, for your soul to be at rest, until you have come to the point where we can say confidently, I am one of God's people. I am right with Christ because of what Christ has done. I have believed that Jesus is my only hope for salvation. Okay? And if you continue to refuse God, just know that in your pride, God opposes you. Okay? And that is a very scary thing. So I ask you, turn from your way. Seek the Lord. Seek Christ. Now, if you are a Christian, okay, if you are a Christian, what does this mean? I want you to be encouraged. I want you to take, have hope. Okay, there's so much that this means for us. There's so many ways in which we can rejoice in the fact that God is with us. This really should change everything about our demeanor, our attitude, the way we interact with others, the way we seek after God. Okay, God is with you, church. God is with you. So act like it. Okay, a couple more verses. John 14, 25 to 27. Next slide. These things I have, Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. Okay, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Okay? What do, when the, when uh, the shepherds were out in the field and the angels come proclaim that the, um, that the Savior is, is coming, right? That, that he is born in Bethlehem. What does he tell them? Fear not. My peace I give to you. Jesus, when he comes back and he shows himself to the disciples, right? He says, peace, I leave, peace I give to you. Do not be afraid. Okay, so Christians, if you are in Christ, you can have peace. Okay, you really can experience true peace, lasting peace. It is made available to you through Christ. So are you anxious this morning? Is your soul unsettled? Remember that the God of peace dwells in you. Seek the Lord and find the peace that he makes available to you. 
Okay, secondly, our next slide, Psalm 23, 4. David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. The great shepherd is with David. Your rod and your staff, they come for me. If you're a Christian, you have no reason to fear other than God himself, okay? You don't need to fear your circumstances. You don't need to fear what others will say about you. Why? Because God is with you. Even when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, David says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. That is the same great shepherd who is with you today. Thirdly, you can have comfort in your trials, in your suffering, in your hardest of times. Let God's rod and staff be a comfort to you. Lastly, he is for you. He is for your church. He's not just with you. You have a God who is on your side. Romans 8, 31 to 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God, the God of the universe, is for you. He is on your side. Therefore, I want you to walk confidently before him. I want you to draw near to him. Even when you sin, God is for you. He wants you to grow in your sanctification. He wants you to repent. Don't run away from God in your sin. Turn to him. He is gracious and ready to forgive. Stand. Don't fear. Stand upon God's word with faith. Even if you are the only one, even if people reject you and ridicule you, stand on God's word because God is with you. Okay, so in this Christmas season, I want the fact that God is with us to like actually change us. Okay, don't let this go by. I want you this to impact your daily walk. I want you to celebrate and have joy that the God of the universe would come down to take on human flesh to be like us so that we could be like him. Okay? He could sympathize with us in our weaknesses. He could actually make us righteous and holy. And so two questions for you as we end our time here this morning. Two questions for exhortation. It's as you see the fact that God delights to be in you, we ought to seek God's presence. Will you seek the Lord this year? Will you make that a priority for your life? We all need to grow in one way or another in seeking after the Lord. Will you this year make that a priority for your life? Okay. Remember James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Okay. He can be found. He is near if you will only seek him. What is keeping you? Okay. What is keeping you from seeking after God? What obstacles are there in your way? Think about those. Actually make a plan and remove those obstacles as best as you can. Okay. Your greatest comfort and joy is to be with your Savior. So make that a priority. Actually take steps to be with him, dwell with him, seek him in his word, pray. Lastly, will you, church, live as if God is with you? Will you live as if God is actually with you day by day? Because he is. I want you to live according to what's true. Um, How would you actually act, if, if you really thought it to yourself and you thought about your day, how would you act differently if you knew that God was next to you at all times, right? You would behave very differently, I'm sure. I'm sure, I mean, I would. So I'm hopeful that's the case for you too, if you're honest with yourself. So the fact that God is with us should change us. Okay, so if you believe that God is with you, okay, will you seek to turn from sin? From sin? You're not alone in your sin. And no one, there's, you sometimes have this idea that no one can see you, no one knows what you're doing. God is always with you. Will you turn from your sin? Will you seek him? Will you repent quickly? Okay, you will sin. Okay, that's just a normal part of the Christian life until uh, we are glorified. Okay, when you do sin, will you repent quickly? Will you run to your heavenly Father, knowing that He is near, ready to forgive? 
Okay, when your friends and your family, when they turn on you for your faithfulness to Christ, will you stand by faith, okay, knowing that God is next to you, he is for you? So who could be against you, right? In your sickness, okay, we have a lot of sickness. In your sickness, in your loss, will you remember that God is with you? And so never forget that in Christ there's nothing that can separate you from God's love. Okay, will you live with joy and peace, no matter your circumstances, because the Lord of the universe is with you. Okay, this holiday season can be hard for many because we feel lonely. We think of loss and people that we are not with us anymore, and we feel like, well, we might be alone. Well, remember, will you have the confidence, okay, that would you rather choose to be with God and with nobody else than to have, to not be with God and have armies by your side? Okay, choose Christ. Have comfort in his presence. And know that the greatest comfort for God's people is the fact that God is with them. So would we leave us, live as people who think and know that's true? All right, church, would you stand with me as we pray and as we uh, sing, um, as we remember uh, the fact that God is celebrate, rejoice at the fact that God is with us. Father, thank you uh, for your word. Uh, thank you for how it encourages us. Uh, Lord, I just pray that there would be some truths uh, from this morning that would spur us on uh, to seek after you this year. Lord, may we live as people who uh, believe in you, who trust you, uh, who treasure and delight in your presence. Uh, and Father, uh, would you go before us uh, because we need you uh, for every moment. So we thank you, Lord, for your kindness, uh, for the fact that you would make a way for us to be made right with you. Father, it is, we owe everything to you. And so we need you, and we ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen.